Well, good morning. I managed to walk past that table about six times without picking up a name tag. So my name is Scott. However, I only needed to walk past that table of maple bacon donuts once before I availed myself. I was going to eat half, but guess what? I ate all of it. That thing was awesome. All right, there's a a fellow by the name of uh, Peter Lovenheim, and he's an author. And uh, he grew up in uh, in upper state New York, and uh, they noticed, everyone in that neighborhood noticed that there was this uh, woman who was walking through the neighborhood pretty much on a daily basis. No one knew what her name was. No one knew where she came from. No one knew where she lived. They just saw her walking in the neighborhood every day. It didn't matter whether it was sunshine, rain, or snow. She was walking every day. People didn't know what her name was. They called her The Walker. Maybe you have someone like that in your neighborhood. I remember growing up in Mountain View, having a person or two like that, running or walking through the neighborhood, and we never knew who they were. Well, uh, Peter Lovenheim moved away from upstate New York. However, 40 years later, he moved back with his wife and his children, and he noticed, to his surprise, that the same woman, 40 years later, was walking through the neighborhood every day. Question to begin this morning, how do you love someone? How do you love someone? We are studying the fruit of the Spirit this summer. Paul Taylor kicked us off last week, and uh, with the context from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, that's a book in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be looking at each of the so-called fruits throughout the summer. And the first fruit is love. So how do you love someone? It's love for one another in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5. So let's, uh, let's get after it, shall we, with the first fruit, that is love. But let's look at the two verses that are before us this summer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So uh, here is this list of fruit. And the list has a certain random feel to it. This is common in Paul. The Apostle Paul, he writes uh, a lot of the New Testament. And when he puts together these lists, all of these lists have a certain random feel to it. And in fact, the list here is incomplete because he says, against such things, there is no law. Well, there are other things. There are other fruits beyond the ones that are just listed here. However, these are the ones that are given to us in Galatians. So we're going to be camping on each of them week by week throughout the summer. And also, the first one is love. And love probably has pride of place here so that we can understand that the other fruits really are derived from this first, this first fruit, which is love. So um, let's look at Galatians 5, 13 to 15, to understand the context of love in the book of Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So this is love for one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if, you, uh, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul has a, has a warning here against the so-called works of the flesh, which we looked at last week. 
So he doesn't want us to indulge in the works of the flesh. Instead, he wants us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So how does that happen? Well, it happens by virtue of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to reproduce the character of Christ in us and among us. And for that to happen, as we learned last week, we have to walk by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. Christ sends the Spirit. The Spirit wants to reproduce the character of Christ in us. And so we must then learn to walk by the Spirit. Now, Paul is not very specific in the book of Galatians about what it actually means to walk by the Spirit. So we probably have to look a little bit at at Galatians and a little bit elsewhere to understand the fuller picture of what it means for us then to walk by the Spirit. And I'm going to submit to you today that one of the things it means is to open up to the love of God as it is seen in Jesus Christ. Opening up to the love of God as it is seen in Jesus Christ. That's one of the chief ways that we walk by the Spirit. That's not not all there is to it, but it's a very important aspect of walking by the Spirit. Opening up to the love of God that the Spirit communicates to us. So look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, earlier in the book, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and here's the key, who loved me and gave himself for me. So here we see love, but it's love for us coming from Christ. Then Paul says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, look for the Holy Spirit here. What is the Holy Spirit doing? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. So one of the ways that we walk by the Spirit is opening up to that love. And here we see that God holds nothing back. If you pour something out, it's like there's nothing left, right? So God holds nothing back. He releases his Son. He pours his love into our hearts. And then look at Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ dies for everyone who, who is a sinner. That's all of us before we come to Christ. And, um, and so it's one thing, of course, to die for a friend. It's another thing to die for a sinner who is sinning against God, who has, wants nothing to do with God, who is rebelling against God. It's another thing to die for an enemy. And that's what Christ did. The love of God is seen in Christ in that Christ dies for us who were at one point enemies of God in total rebellion against him. And the Spirit wants to show us the love of God. The Spirit wants to make the love of God real to us. And that's what the Spirit is doing even now. The Spirit right now wants to make the love of God in Christ tangible to us so that our lives are transformed by that love. So then, walk by the Spirit. Marvel at the torrent of love that has swept you from alienation from God to the worship of God. Marvel at the love that poured out from the Savior's side right into your heart. That's one of the things it means to walk by the Spirit. Open up to the love of God. 
Now, if you want to communicate your love to someone, what do you do? Now, obviously, actions are part of that, but you might actually want to say it. You might want to verbalize it. You might want to say, I love you, uh, to communicate that love. But if you're really serious, what do you do? Maybe you write a poem. A poem is the language of love, is it not? And so uh, not many of us think that we're very good poets, but maybe if you're really serious and you're dating and you want to propose or something like that, I mean, you write a, you write a poem. You try. You open up your heart. It's the the language of the heart, right? Did you know that God has written a poem to you? He's written a love poem to you. It's hidden in the Hebrew scriptures, which we also call the Old Testament, way back in the prophet Isaiah. You may never have heard of it, even if you've been in the church for a long time. You may have never, never have heard of this passage. I have always had it as my ambition to preach this passage, but I probably never will because we're probably never going to go through all the way through Isaiah. So I'm, you're going to get it from me this morning. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. I'm just going to give you the center of it. This poem is an inverted structure, which means that the climax of the whole thing comes at the center. So look at Isaiah 43, verses 3 and 4. This is God speaking to Israel, but then we know that Israel's continuity continues in the church, which means that God is speaking this to us. God is speaking this to you. God is writing this poem, this love poem, to you. Here it is. Verses 3 and 4, Isaiah 43. I give Egypt as your ransom... Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. So here God is saying the price he's willing to pay to redeem Israel, and that price is other nations. First of all, Egypt, in that he redeemed Uh, Israel from Egypt, and then other nations later in Canaan. These are all pagan nations who are opposed to God, and yes, God killed them in order to ultimately redeem and provide for Israel. Now, we recoil at that, but we have to understand that these were nations and peoples who are, were, had gotten to the point where they were more or less irredeemable at that point in their history so that God is judging Egypt. God is judging the other nations in order to save Israel. So this is happening at the same time. In the sublime economy of God, he judges one nation and he redeems another all at the same time. So here, here is the only place, near as I can tell, in all of the scriptures where God actually says to us, I love you. I may be wrong on this. I've done a little research. I've done some word studies, but I think it's true. This is the only place, Genesis to Revelation, where God says, I love you. Now, you might think, if that is the only place, that this might be in maybe the top 10 of all the memory passages in the entire scriptures. But almost no one has heard of it. Almost no one knows of it. Why not? Probably because we recoil at the whole concept of God sort of sacrificing one nation for the sake of another, sacrificing other peoples for the sake of his people. We don't like that. We don't think that's fair. Well, let's think about this theologically. 
theologically for a second. What actually is fair? What's fair? Here's what's fair. God kills all of us right now and sends all of us to hell. That is fair. That's fair. That's what we all deserve for our rebellion against God. The fact that God spares some in his mercy so that those some could reach all is attributable to the mercy of God. So that's what's going on here. And when you look, when you back off and look at the whole of the scriptures, you realize that the sacrifice of Egypt, the sacrifice of Cush, the sacrifice of Seba, the sacrifice of other peoples is not sacrifice enough. Sin is way more destructive than that. God is way more loving than that. Just look around. You get a small glimpse of how destructive in our world sin actually is. That is rebellion against God. All of the effects that that has. So sin costs more than all these people. And we are worth more than all these people. So what does God do? He sacrifices his one and only perfect son. That's how much he loves us. That's how destructive sin is. That is what we are worth. So look at these words, will you, that God speaks to you. You are precious in my sight. You are precious in my eyes. What does that mean? It means we are valuable. Don't we all want to be valued I mean, you want to be loved, you want to be accepted, but you also want to be valued. I mean, something that is precious is valued. We are precious in the eyes of God. He values us. And then he honors us. What does it mean to be honored? Don't you want to be honored at some place deep in your heart? Don't you want someone to be able to look at you and say, Man, I, mean, I, I honor you. I recognize you. One of the things you see in, in, in little children is that they deeply want to be honored. That's why they'll, they'll do some sort of trick and say, Mom, Dad, watch this. You know, you've watched it a hundred times, but they want you to watch it again. Watch this. They want to be honored. I think also we as adults want to be honored. And then God says these words to us, maybe the words we most want to hear, and he himself, God himself, says them to us. I love you. I love you. Now, when you say those words, you make yourself vulnerable because you're opening yourself up to rejection because when you say those words, what you really want to hear in back in return is, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what you want to hear. So when you initiate and say those words, you make yourself vulnerable. God makes himself vulnerable. And you know that when you say those words, that a commitment comes with it, and that commitment can be costly. It was for God. It cost him his son. You are precious. You are honored. And God loves you. So here's what I think we can do with Isaiah chapter 43, verses 3 through Four, we can substitute the words my son for Egypt, Cush, Seba, and men. 
so that it reads like this. I give my son as your ransom. My son, my son in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give my son in return for you. My son in exchange for your life. So, let the poem sink into your heart. It's a love poem from God to you. And listen then to these words. Use your imagination coming from the scriptures so that you can imagine and picture God saying these words to you. You are precious in my eyes. You are honored. I love you. So open up to the love of God in Christ. What happens then as we open up to the love of God in Christ? A revolution happens in our hearts so that we end up having a disposition of being more loving toward others. It's the simplest thing in the scriptures coming from 1 John. We love because he first loved us. Or look at uh, what Jesus says in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, and as you experience that love, now what I want you to do is to love one another. One another. Or he puts it poetically in John 7, 37 and 38. Uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. So if anyone thirsts, that's all of us. What are we thirsty for? One of the big things we're thirsty for is love. We are thirsting for love. So we come to Jesus and we drink. We drink in that love. And that love then produces something within us so that what flows into us, love, flows out of us, love for one another. So there may be an internal logjam of fears and ambitions and ambiguities, but it's the love of God which pours into our hearts through Christ and the Spirit that clears away that logjam so that we receive that love and that we are able to give love in return. So Jesus says, uh, commands us to lay up treasures in heaven. Lay up treasures in heaven. Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay up treasures in heaven. So that if we lay up love, if we love one another, then we will always have what we gave to love. I think that's one of our fears. I've only got so much love to give and that love is not going to be returned. I'm going to run out of that supply or whatever. Or I'm not gonna, I have all these fears about that. So I'm going, to, I'm going to be real tight with my love. I'm going to lose something. But if you give it away, if you love, you will always have what you gave to love. That comes from singer David Wilcox. I think he's right. Uh, so way back in the day, this, the great maestro Toscanini, he was uh, leading his orchestra in a rehearsal of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And he was leading it with uh, a special sensitivity and all of the musicians were caught up in all of this. And at the conclusion of the rehearsal, the entire orchestra broke into a thunderous applause in appreciation for, for Toscanini. And Toscanini was quite overwhelmed by all this, but not in the way that you might expect. He shouted them all down. 
He said, he, he, he made them all be quiet. He said, men, back then it was men. He said, said, said men, it isn't, it isn't me. It's, it's Beethoven. See they, were, see, they were praising him for his sensitivity and his leadership But what was he doing? What did he see himself as doing? Just being in awe of Beethoven. No doubt he had poured over the notes on the page and could hear the music in his head. And then he was leading the the orchestra in rehearsal and he was in awe of Beethoven. And the fact that they were in awe of him was repugnant to him. Be in awe of Beethoven, man. Be in awe of Christ. Be in awe of his love for you. And that's going to have an effect. You're then going to bear fruit, so to speak. I was in the presence of a woman several years ago, and she began to weep in my presence. And I asked, what are those, what are those tears about? And she said, she has found herself recently being able to love other people who are not able to love her in return. And tears of joy were running down her cheeks. And she says, I don't know exactly how this happened, that I'm able to love these people. I wasn't able to love them before, but now I am. It had something to do with God's love for her, something to do with her connection with Christ. She couldn't completely explain it, but she found herself loving in a way that she wasn't capable of loving earlier because of her connection to Christ. There were tears of living water flowing down her cheeks. So how do we love? The answer to that question obviously is multifaceted. How do we love? Let me me offer one humble, simple, practical suggestion. How do we love other people? people. Ask questions. Ask people questions about their lives. I have this theory that goes like this, that most people are really dying to tell you something about themselves, but they don't think that you want to hear. And the fact that you don't ask a question only reinforces that concept. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit like that. I sort of, uh, I'm able to read the room. I'm able to read people pretty quickly and, and about whether you want to hear what I have to say or not. Now, I'm able to preach up here because you have, I, you know, I, you have no choice in the matter. You know, it's like, there you are. I'm, I'm preaching. Do, do these people actually want to hear what I have to say? They want to hear my story? I, you know, I, I really don't know. But I'm able to tell much more when I'm up front. I mean, with you, not up front here, but up front with you. I think a lot of us are the same way. Does this person really care? One of the ways that you show you care is by asking people questions about their lives and then listening. It's very simple. It's very practical. I've been leading men's groups here at uh, PBC for, I don't know, as long as I've been here, actually. And one of the things I insist on, if you join the men's group that I'm a part of, is that you tell your story. I, I ask a question. Will you tell your story? And of course, they can't say no. <laughs> they have to say yes. I give them no choice in the matter. You, ha- you have to tell your story. That's the price of admission. And so I tell them, okay, you've got 45 minutes, and then afterwards, we go 15 minutes of Q&A. 
And I've had several men tell me over the years, there's no way that I could fill 45 minutes. I have to tell you, every story, every man has gone over 45 minutes. (laughs) No one is kept to the limit. Several said there's no way they could fill 45 minutes, but once they start talking, once they start sharing, and once they look around the room and see that other guys are listening, the floodgates open, and they tell their story. Everyone's story is important. Everyone's story matters. Everyone's story is beautiful. And if Christ is involved in the story, then it's transcendent. Ask people questions about their lives. So one of the things we're going to do more of this summer is to have a time of congregational sharing. We've already sort of had it today because we heard from Joey, but we're going to have life together more often this summer. We're determined to make more room for that in our worship services. We've had a little bit of problems during the, doing this during the pandemic, but we're going to do it more often this summer. And so we want to hear from one another. We want to hear your stories. As preachers, uh, Dan and Paul and I, we, we, you know, we include our stories in our sermons, but it's not enough. We need to hear your stories too. You make the whole thing complete. So we're going to do more of that this summer. So remember Peter Lovenheim? I opened with him. He moved back to his neighborhood in upstate New York 40 years later, and he saw the same woman walking through the neighborhood. He was amazed to see the same woman. What do you think he did? He went up to her. He asked her some questions. Excuse me. I've lived on this street a long time and have always noticed you walking. Up close, she looked older, smaller, and frailer than I had imagined. Yes, she said, I've been walking here a long time. Her voice was shaky, but she spoke with a clear diction. She said she'd walked in the neighborhood almost every day since 1960. You've walked on our street every day for more than 40 years, I asked. I didn't miss many, she said, smiling. In just one more year, I'll be 90, she added. Her name was Grace Field. Somebody finally found out her name. Not the walker, Grace Field. In answer to my question, Grace said that in all the years she'd been at it, few people had stopped to speak with her. I was, at the time, writing a book about how Americans live as neighbors and asked Grace if she'd be willing to talk with me about that. She agreed, and a few days later, I met her at her home. Someone found out where she lived. It turned out she lived in an apartment nearby. She had never married. She lived alone and walked each day for exercise. Among the things I learned about Grace was that as a young woman, she had studied at the Juilliard School and was an accomplished harpist and pianist. Nobody knew. What a waste, I thought. If only we'd gotten to know her, Grace might have made an interesting friend. Maybe she even could have given music lessons to children in the neighborhood. Open up to the love of God, love others. One of the simple, practical ways that you can love others is to ask questions. Ask people questions about their lives. As the band comes up, I'm going to pray for us.
Lord, the, the, the love of God is there for us to see, but we need, to help, we need help seeing it. That's why you give us the Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, for coming. And I pray, Lord, that the Spirit would just open up our hearts so to be able to receive this love that the Spirit pours into our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this unbelievable sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for letting the Son go. Thank you, Spirit, for pouring the love of God into our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that that would do a work in our hearts so that we would move out in love toward one another and maybe even ask a few questions. In Jesus' name, amen.